Hey kitchen nerds, my name's Nicole and welcome to Blender Kitchen. So this week got something delicious and fantastic, wonderful, amazing. I don't even have other words to describe it. Honestly, it's one of my favorite dishes ever. It's ramen. But before we get into the delicious history, few housekeeping things up top. We now have a YouTube channel. I've been working with this wonderful video producer named Hannibal, and he has been helping me get together some visual representations and some of our recipes. So our YouTube channel is the same as the podcast name. Check it out. Tell your friends. Tell your friends to tell their friends. And also uh, let us know what you think. Um, website is up to date. We no longer have a Twitter. I've been really trying to focus on social media that I could manage uh, in a timely manner and it's just a lot to do both the Instagram and the Twitter so we're only on the Instagram and our Instagram is Blender Kitchen. Um, just a reminder, you know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get new ideas for episodes. Drop us a line. Leave us a voicemail on anchor.fm slash blenderkitchen. Uh, you can also email us through our website, comment on our YouTube page, uh, DM us on Instagram, anything. Uh, yeah, love to hear from you. That's all about all I got for housekeeping, so let's dive in. So, what is ramen besides a noodle soup? Well, very specifically, Wikipedia says it is a Chinese wheat noodle soup served in a meat or fish-braced broth often flavored with soy sauce or miso and uses toppings such as sliced pork, also called chasu, dried seaweed, also called nori, fermented bamboo shoots, also called menma, and scallions. Throughout this episode, I'm going to try and refer to both the Japanese name for a topping or a dish and the English name for a topping or a dish because when you go to ramen restaurants, sometimes it's only listed by the Japanese name and I want you to know, to get a sense of what it is you're looking at or looking for. So, couldn't really get a date on when it was first invented. Um... It kind of seems like it's been a dish that's been around a while, but ramen didn't start out as ramen. It started out as laimian, and I'm really sorry. I'm working on my pronunciations. Try as I might, this was a rough one. So ramen started out as a Chinese laimian, which actually was a side dish. It was not eaten as, as the main thing for the meal. And was essentially noodles in a broth. Uh, it was the same broth that is the base of many other Chinese soups. And you didn't really get this differentiation in broth until ramen began to develop. Uh, there are really two kinds of stories as to how ramen became ramen or came to come to Japan. And the first one is 
kind of really idyllic. Um, during the Meiji Restoration, it's said that the Chinese philosopher uh, Zhu Xi, who was um, a member of the political party during the Song Dynasty, um, honestly, he was kind of a jack of all trades. He had many different offices, so it's unclear what office um, he he was representing or he was holding when he visited Japan. But it's said that um, he visited Japan and brought the knowledge of many Chinese things. And one of the things that he introduced was Lai Mian. However, according to the Yokohama Ramen Museum, the introduction of ramen was much less precise. Um, so the more popular um, idea of when ramen was introduced to Japan was um, that it was introduced by Chinese immigrants in the late 19th and the early 20th, early speech is hard, <laughs> the early 20th century during um, kind of like the end of the Meiji Restoration. So in order to, con to wrap our minds around that. So the Meiji Restoration is a huge topic and I would hate to give it short shrift or really not um, get into some of the ins and outs like we should. So this is a super, super brief um, look over the major restoration. If you would like to know more, our research is posted on the site. I really encourage you to take, take a good deep dive in because honestly, this is such a huge part of world history um, and understanding how the Meiji Restoration fits in with a lot of our modern political history as a war as a society as hum humanity um, is really enlightening but we're only going to touch on very specifically the Meiji Restoration and how it relates to ramen so brief background before um, the parliamentary system that Japan currently has Japan was ruled by shogunates, and one particular shogunate, um, Tokugawa Yoshinobu, had really consolidated power. So it instead of having a a lot of small shogunates, you essentially had like one one guy ruling the company, the country. It's actually very similar to the unification of Germany from being a series of small princedoms to coming under rule uh, from a, by a single ruler. Anyway, so around 1686, there was a coup d'etat by a young upstart samurai um, that ousted Tokugawa Yoshinobu and installed the emperor as ruler of Japan. This is why it's called the Meiji Restoration, because it restored the emperor as ruler over Japan. So, there's some 
more really interesting things um, around that time, but we are going to skip. So prior to prior to the Meiji Restoration, Japan was really solidifying themselves as an imperial power. Right after the coup d'etat and the creation of a bicameral parliamentary system, there was a focus on closing borders and becoming insular to really focus on country building. Is That's a really simple way of saying it, but for our purposes, focus on country building. Um, however, Japan still wanted to be a player on the world stage. So there was also a focus on uh, westernization and becoming familiar with Western business tactics and policies and blending that with traditional Japanese um, culture and sensibilities and priorities. Honestly, like I said, super complicated. Anyway, so part of the reason that led to the coup d'etat was really a sense of unhappiness by some of the trade treaties that Japan was forced into, which is also like a whole nother history that we're, we don't have time to cover in this podcast. But essentially, due to some unequal treaties, um, Japan was forced to open their ports before they were ready and welcome in uh, trade from outside of the nation. And because of that, port towns, well, there were already port towns, but um, more bustling port towns popped up. Um, they became international. And one of one of the biggest, I guess, I don't, I don't know what the exact word is, um, draws, features, anyway, one of the biggest features of these port towns was this new international sense. No longer was there only Japanese food, um, which is incredibly um, unique and diverse, and that's not to say it's simple, but now you can get Chinese food, you can get Russian food, you can get American food, which that's a whole other episode, and we're not going to get into that right now. Um, so many Chinese um, immigrants who were working in these port towns brought with them Lai Mien. I feel like I say that differently every time. So they brought with them Lai Mien. And also around this time, Japan had just ended um, the Second Sino-Japanese War, which was a war with China. Uh, 
that's where we're going to leave it. There's a lot of like heavy history surrounding all of this. And it was really difficult to figure out what I wanted to touch on and what I did not want to touch on because there's so much here. So the second Sino um, Japanese war and the Russo-Japanese war really established Japan as um, as a world power as the world powers were playing it at that time. And some historians say that those two wars kind of set up World War One, which is a lot to unpack, as you can imagine. So back to ramen. Chinese soldiers returning from the second uh, Sino-Japanese War were familiar with Lai Mian. So as um, the Chinatowns at the dock, most particularly Yokohama's Chinatown, um, became more popular, not just among um, the people that lived and worked in those areas, but it became more popular among the Japanese citizens who didn't work at the ports or live at the ports, due in part to soldiers returning and seeking out those flavors that they had enjoyed eating uh, while in China. So that really helped spread um, kind of that popularity. So ramen goes on for a while. It's not immensely, it's, well, A, it's invented. Um, and even who invented it and where is a point of contention. Most people do say that it's probably invented in Yokohama um, at the Vrairaiken ramen shop. But, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's difficult to say, like, this is the place because it's, it's an evolution of a dish. So... Ramen continued chugging along. Um, it became a popular street food. Um, it was quick and easy and delicious. Um, but not like hugely popular the way we think of ramen as popular today. Fast forward to the American pop occupation of Japan in post-World War II. This is where we see ramen really increase in popularity, not just in Japan, but I would argue worldwide. Let me set the scene. Hold on, it's a rough one. So in December 1945, Japan has one of the worst rice harvests that it's had in the last 42 years. This leads to food shortages because during World War II, Japan had shifted food production away from um, mainland Japan. Well, I know Japan is an island, but away from the concentrated Japanese islands to the Japanese colonies. Um, specifically, their colonies in China and Taiwan. So when the U.S. occupied Japan they now no longer had access to some of those colonies in China and Taiwan. 
So now there's a shortage of rice. Rice is a huge basis for a lot of culinary uh, cuisine. Hmm, I don't think that's correct. A lot of cuisine in Japan. So now there's a rice shortage. What are you going to do? Additionally, during this time, um, the U.S. has been heavily promoting the uh, health benefits, quote-unquote, we're going to say quote-unquote, because I feel like often marketing gets in the way of us being able to actually see what some of the health benefits are or not of things. Anyway, basically, the U.S. starts promoting meat-based foods. That's... I'm going to cut all this. Rice harvest is terrible. The United States um, has brought with them the tradition of eating wheat-based products. Now, at that time, Japan had a policy of not importing wheat, other foods, but also wheat for consumption in the country. But remember, there's a rice shortage. And because of the U.S. occupation of Japan, Japan was processing wheat for exportation. Some of that wheat made its way out of the processing plants and into the black market, which is so wild to think of a black market for food. And a lot of these food carts were selling ramen. Quick, easy, cheap, delicious. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those food carts were also controlled by the Yakuza. So just think of, you know, the mafia owning corner stores in New York. That kind of um, inflation and tax and all the dangers being that are associated with, you know, having a... Uh, mob-like identity control the way you're able to do business. And if you add on top of that, the business that you're doing is not exactly legal. It can be very stressful to be a small business owner um, peddling ramen. On a side note, um, if you have not seen the new mob documentary on Netflix, it's fascinating. And I highly recommend. Back to ramen. So, Because ramen is now like this heightened thing, this like special thing because it's black market and because also it's easy to cook, it increases in popularity. Meanwhile, U.S. soldiers that are leaving Japan and returning home are bringing with them this enjoyment of ramen that they had tasted while they were in Japan. And... 
you know, kind of just took off from there. Around 1950, the wheat restrictions were lifted, and so uh, ramen was able to come out in the open and be enjoyed without fear of arrest. Now, one of the greatest inventions, in my opinion, was instant ramen. Instant ramen was invented in 1958 by Momofuku Ando, who was a Japanese-Taiwanese founder and the chairman of Nissan Foods. I really didn't understand how you could have instant ramen and have it be shelf-stable and delicious when, when you eat ramen in a restaurant and you let sit for too long the noodles get soggy. Listen. Instant ramen noodles are cooked and then like boiled as you would and then fried, which is what allows them to be shaped into their unique little packages and what allows them to reconstitute so nicely because it removes so much of the water content from them. I did a very poor job of explaining the science behind that. But I got that information from the Saver podcast and their episode, Ramen, Oodles of History. So if you want to get a better sense of how instant ramen noodles works, listen to that episode. It was very informative. So this changed the way that people ate ramen, you know. Rama used to be this thing of you would go out to get it. And honestly, when instant ramen was first invented, it was not cheap. Not cheap like how we think of it today. It was like this novelty thing. Now it's a staple of many college diets um, in the American prison system, which is another long, complicated topic that we're briefly going to touch on. Ramen is... A source of food aside from prison rations and sometimes a source of economy. So what is ramen? I know that we kind of got the definition and now we've got the history but we're about to get into our recipe and so what makes ramen so that you can make it at home? There are four parts. You have the noodles you have toppings you have the soup and you have flavoring so ramen noodles are made from special water called kansui that's what makes the noodles yellow it makes them firm this water originated in a lake in Mongolia containing alkaline mineral water with sodium carbonate, potassium carbonate, and phosphoric acid. I wasn't able to find out how it made its way from that lake in Mongolia into ramen pots today, but this is what makes a good ramen noodle. Now, I do not have access to kansui. I, in my research, I found that a good substitute is baking soda, but it's not the same. It doesn't really 
allow the noodles to become as firm as you like and they're a little chewy. Um, you, if you make noodles but you don't add eggs or kansui, you can only use that for yakisoba. It's really going to be too soft for your soup. Traditional ramen noodles are made by hand, um, but more and more ramen shops have been employing ramen noodle machines, um, which I wonder if you would need a new word because the word raw men comes from the word raw, meaning, um, I hate when I lose my notes. Here we go. Raw meaning pull and men meaning noodle. So if the machine, well, I guess technically the machine is doing the pulling, so it would still be pulled noodles. Anyway, so there are a lot of different flavorings and almost in every um, town in Japan has a specialized ramen noodle, but in your stock, there's usually a a few a few things that are in every stock dashi which is a broth made from katsuboshi which are um, fermented dried skipjack tuna flakes and kombu which is a type of seaweed or kelp that's boiled down and it's added to the broth the broth um, gets its hardiness from either um, chicken or pork shoulder bones um, but really just like a bone broth how you would think of making a like a French stock after that it's there's really room for a lot of customization you can add shiitake you can add onions there's honestly a lot the flavoring sauce, what's called tare, depends on what kind of ramen you are having. So in shoyu ramen, that's a clear soup broth with soy sauce tare added. Now in shio ramen, it's a kind of yellowish broth. Shoyu is kind of more of a brown broth and I believe that's miso tare. There's so much that we can get into and you know, it's it's uh it's a whole world out there. But your the basic things that your ramen has to have in order to be ramen is ramen noodles, a good bone stock or beef stock, bone bone broth. That's it. And a flavoring, usually miso based or soy sauce based. Then everything else that goes on top is really easy to, you know, bring in even more nutrients. Sweet corn or butter or bean sprouts, uh, brisket and pork shoulder, also called chasu. It's amazing. There is a specific type of ramen for everyone's particular taste out there. So let's get into our recipe for the week.
So in this recipe, I made everything from scratch. Um, honestly, it was delicious, but I definitely have a way of making it so that you're able to enjoy a similar experience without having to, you know, cook for three days. <laughs> Although it was not time heavy in single blocks, it was a lot of waiting. Ramen is a really similar to, to bread, I found, in that a lot of the time you're just waiting for things to happen. So it is something that you could do over the course of a couple days if you really wanted to make it at home. Um, and if you do not, you can always substitute this with beef broth. And honestly, even if you're just making packaged ramen, if you want to spice it up by adding your own chili oil or beef brisket on top, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be delicious. And it's going to be more than just, you know, what you found in your packet of dry seasoning. So let's get down to it. First, we are going to make our broth. So for this, I did two different broths because I'm an overachiever. So for your pork broth, you're going to put your pork, pork bones in a Dutch oven. Um, and honestly, all of this was eyeballed. I would say maybe about a pound of pork bones. To that, you're going to add water to cover, um, a handful of bonito flakes, and a couple of uh, kombu leaves. Uh, if you're not able to come by kombu, wakame or wakame uh, is a great substitute for that. You're gonna stick that in your oven at 350 degrees and let that bake down for about two to three hours. Do not add more water um, to the pot. You you want it to cook down for your chicken stock basically the same thing take chicken wings put them in a dutch oven handful of bonita flakes a few kombu leaves water to cover and allow that to roast now when that's good and roasted you're going to take it out you're going to add it to a crock pot more water Another handful of um, katsuboshi, another few wakame leaves, and that is going to remain in your crock pot overnight for, uh, I don't know, a good 12 to 14 hours. This gives you an excellent bone broth. It's going to be kind of thicker than we need, so after you strain off that liquid and set it aside because we are going to use it. Take your pork bones, put them in a saucepan, cover with water, bring to boil, reduce to simmer, allow to simmer for five minutes. And that's going to be your pork stock. Now, for the chicken, I didn't, because I used chicken wings, I didn't get as thick of a broth. And so just putting my chicken, um, roasted chicken bones into my crock pot, handful of katsuboshi, a few kombu leaves, 
and 12 to 14 hours after sitting in the crock pot, it was ready. Now, your, your broths are gonna last up to a month in your fridge and still be good to eat or drink, however you wanna say. So it's honestly not a worry if you're making a ton. And once you've made it, you have it. it you know, it's always going to be there. Now we're going to make our second sauce, which is the shoyu tare. And I got this recipe from Ramen at Home. It makes 10 servings, which is a lot. There's recipe, you'll need one ounce of uh, bonito or katsuboshi, one dried shiitake mushroom, Three, one and three fourths cup water, two ounces of kombu, which is really just a few leaves of kombu, one third cup plus one teaspoon of salt, and two cups dark soy sauce. Now, as you make your sauces, you're gonna be thinking this is a lot of salt. It's a lot of salt, it's too much salt, but I guarantee you a lot of this boils out. You're not gonna taste a ton of salt. And if you don't put what the recipe calls for, you're going to wanna put more. So in a food processor, powder your bonita flakes and your shiitake mushroom. Then, in a stock pot, add the kombu, bring to a boil, um, sorry, water also. Water, kombu, stock pot. Bring to a boil, reduce to a simmer, and simmer for two minutes. Remove and discard the kombu. Then, you're gonna take your powdered katsuboshi and shiitake mix. Add that to the simmering water, bring it to boil again, remove it from the heat, and once it's begun to boil, and strain through a coffee filter. This is going to give you a really smooth sauce without grit in it. Measure out two cups of this liquid and add one third cup plus one teaspoon of salt to it. Make sure you mix the salt in really well. Next, you'll pour this entire mixture into a measuring cup and transfer to a large bowl. Measure out two cups of soy sauce, add it to the bowl, and mix well. Now you've got your flavoring for your soup. If you would like to make chasu, I'm gonna throw that recipe up on the website as well, but honestly, just really well seared uh, steak or brisket would be amazing. Now we're gonna build our bowl. Cook your ramen noodles as recommended on the packaging. Do not um, add the seasoning packet. You could make your own noodles. The book that I used did have a recipe for that. That's a lot, we weren't getting into that. So cook your noodles, your instant noodles as recommended on the package. Meanwhile, while that's getting ready, fill your bowl halfway with boiling water. This is gonna heat your bowl and honestly change your entire at-home ramen experience. It's wonderful. Once uh, your noodles are ready, dump the water that you've put in your bowl to warm it out. Add, um, add the noodles. Then, you're gonna do a little bit of chili oil, about a teaspoon of chili oil. It's fantastic. It really just adds a pop that you're not expecting. Ladle soup, your broth up until about halfway through the bowl, and then about 
quarter cup of tare. Build it up with your toppings and enjoy. This is honestly a really, really flexible recipe. Um, if you don't wanna build your own broth, but you do want something more flavorable than the, the seasoning packets that come in your instant ramen, a good bone broth plus some chili oil and um, there you go. It's uh, you're all you're all good. You're ready. It's delicious. Dive in. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Blender Kitchen. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Blender Kitchen. Check out our website at BlenderKitchen.com. There's so much happening recipe-wise in this episode. Honestly, it's gonna it's gonna be super beneficial. Just pop on over to the website, get a good feel for all the ingredients and all the steps, or you can watch us make this on our YouTube channel. Our handle is still Blunder Kitchen. Is that what you call it? Is that what the kids call it these days? Anyway, have a wonderful week. Enjoy. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>